you're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I'm going to tell you something, people. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on with since coronavirus started with the new normal and, you know, how Hollywood's going to change and quarantining. And my guest today, she can answer all of them. She's a wonderful actor. Uh, she's right now in Vancouver working on the David E. Kelly series, Big Sky. And my guest is Brooke Smith. How you doing, Brooke? I'm okay, Steve. How are you? Good. Now, I we're friends on Facebook. This is the second time you've been quarantined. Tell me what goes on with the quarantine, because the thing I want to say is you're getting quarantined because of work. Now, there's a lot of people who I just crack up because they don't give a crap about coronavirus, and they're going to get quarantined because it's not going to be fun. They're going to be sick. But what is it? What happened the first time you went up? I mean, you knew you were getting quarantined. How's it all work? Um, okay, so I actually drove up from L.A. with my dog. Um, I wasn't really wanting to fly in, you know, on August 1st. I was still a little nervous. So um, we drove up. We crossed the border. It was fine. Uh, but you have to agree if you're coming from the States to go right into two weeks quarantine. You can't you're not supposed to leave your if you're in a hotel, you're not supposed to leave the room. Um, and if you're in, like, I rented this townhouse on Airbnb, and I have a little backyard, so I'm allowed to go sit in the backyard with my dog. So, yeah. So so how do you, do you have to buy all your food before you go, or how does that work? Um, well, the first time production was very nice, and they bought some things and uh, brought them. Uh, but the, the they have these different services up here in Vancouver. You can call and order groceries, you know. Uh, wine was a little harder, but necessary. And, uh, yeah, so I just ordered everything. Yeah. So what was it like being on set? I had talked to Reed Diamond a few weeks ago, and he was in New Orleans, and he had said how you take your temperature like three times a day or three times a week, and it's just different. And I try to explain with people that, you know, everyone's used to going to Crafty or, or going to the meal. I mean, now what is it like when, when your first day on set, was, was everybody a little apprehensive yes definitely uh we were i i believe we were one of the first to go back uh into production although we we never really started uh we were supposed to shoot in new mexico in april and then everything happened and um and to be honest with you i haven't actually filmed yet i've been i've done camera tests i've done costume uh hair makeup all that but I haven't actually filmed yet. I know, you know, we get tested. Originally, it was three times a week. Now it's two times a week. Uh, we get COVID tested. And um, and when you get to set, it's, I mean, I think the thing I'm hearing from everyone who's already filmed, which is a bummer, uh, is that you sort of are separated from the crew quite a bit. So the camaraderie, the sort of, you know, banter between all crew members and, and above the line, as they call us, you know, is, uh, I, I heard there's less of that, which is a bummer. Um, oh, look at that. My delivery just arrived. Oh, oh there's my dog. Sorry. Hey, hey, hey. Sorry. Sorry. Stop. Stop. Thank you. Um, nice. Whoa. She's very protective of me. Roxy, get over here. Come here. So. Um, yeah. So, and I know, you know, even doing the camera tests, I felt a little like a rock star or something. They would get you through hair and makeup and then they would call over the walkie, you know, she's walking and they'd have to clear the entire area, which felt really weird. Uh, but I get it. I mean, it's all new. So, and just yesterday, SAG, and I guess they all finally agreed yesterday to the back to work protocols and released a 60 page document that I was going through last night. Um, yeah. Now, and then you were, you went up and then you, I believe you came back to LA and then you came back up. So you have to do a whole quarantine again. Now when you're quarantined and when you're done quarantined, I mean, when you're actually okay and you clear the quarantine, are you allowed to go out with your mask or what is your day like? Because you're in a city. I don't know if you're too familiar with it. I know you're an actor, so you've probably done productions up there. But um, what is it like your normal day? Because, you know, you're used to being, you know, hanging out with the actors or hanging out with your family for shooting in L.A. What is it like for you right now? Yeah, it's, um, 
Well, when I got out of quarantine last time, I went hiking every single day, which was beautiful. Um, my dog loved it. And then when it became clear they were going to block shoot my first and second episode, so, you know, it was going to be a little later, I thought, I just can't, I've got to get home. So I went home, uh, came back, and uh, and when I get out again, you know, the numbers in Vancouver are very low, so you can sort of walk around without a mask and then... Uh, I mean, production really wants us to, to treat everyone like they have COVID and, you know, be very, very careful because we certainly don't want to get shut down. But, um, you know, it's they've got it down here, it seems. You know, when you go to a store, you just put your mask on. They usually have the stuff at the door, the hand sanitizer. You go in, you do your thing, you come out, same thing. Um, so it's, it's somewhat normal. Actually, when I went back to L.A. to visit my family, I felt like I was in quarantine there because everything was on fire. And, you know, the air was really bad. So, I don't know. It's been quite a year, hasn't it? It's been crazy. Now, okay, you've been acting. You've been in this game for a long time. And I'm sure when you started acting, you never thought it would come to a point where you're getting tested before you go on set. And no one thought that. And, you know, you're used. I know I talked to so many actors who are really used to that grind. You know, if you're not getting offers, you're still going out for auditions. And you just that whole that whole life. When, when you started out, what made you get into acting? I mean, was as a kid, were you very, you know, acting type, or what were you like? Um, well, my mom was a publicist, uh, and so I sort of grew up around the business. She was based in New York, but she handled some pretty major people, everyone from Marilyn Monroe to Robert Redford, um, Meryl Streep, you know, people... It, it's funny, publicity back then used to be mostly about, you know, keeping your name out of the papers. <laughs> um, so it's very different now. Uh, so anyway, just to say that I'm sure uh, Freud would have a lot to say about why I became an actress, because my mom was always off with actors. But um, I think I knew pretty young. I don't remember. I mean, you know, I wanted to be a horse vet. And, uh, you know, a marine biologist when I was a little kid, maybe. But, you know, I was in, oh, I did a little thing in Free to Be You and Me when I was seven years old. So that was kind of it. Once I did that, I thought, oh, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. That's it. Now, living in New York and seeing that your mom was involved, you know, doing publicity for actors, was she for all for you acting or was she thinking, this isn't the easiest life? I mean, what was her, her view of it? Yeah, she was cautious. She was, uh, you know, she tried not to say no too much. Uh, she definitely let me know how hard it was. And um, and at a certain point, she was like, what can I do? I can't say no to you. You're really good. So, you know, that was it. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not, I have kids now, and they have not said they want to be actors, so... There's a little relief there. It's not the easiest life. I mean, I love it, but, you know, and I've been very lucky. So Now, you're in New York, so that makes it easier because you're closer to productions, even though more film is shot in L.A. Do you remember your first audition for your, for your first part that you got in TV or movie? Huh. You know, I think it was probably, like, The Equalizer, remember that show <laughs> I feel like it must have been that but I don't remember the audition for some reason and you know Silence of the Lambs I did an audition I met with him you know they didn't make me go into a room and scream and you know he just talked to me and and I I mean I have felt a shift I don't know maybe it's just because I'm an old lady now but uh, it does feel like there's whole committees who have to agree on everything these days. Whereas in the old days, it felt more, maybe I'm naive, but it felt more like they would just, they being the studios would sort of hire Jonathan Demi and they would say, you know, okay, now you hire who you want, you know, because you're directing the film. And then he would hire everyone he thought was the best for the job and then kind of let them do what they do. Um, so anyway, I'm digressing, but uh, I don't really remember my first audition. I'm not a, I don't love auditioning. I mean, I kind of like it more as a self-tape nowadays just because I can control it and I don't have to uh, worry about the lines as much. You know, I can tape them up or, you know, 
make my husband tape me 7,000 times, you know, or whatever. <laughs> well, it, seems, uh, it seems a lot of actors are split on that. A lot of them who are the ones who are like 65, you know, and I talked to her like 70, you know, they've been in the business for so long. They love the room. Because they said, you know, we we got parts when, you know, back in the room, going into the room. But then the generation who's like 45 and up are like, we love self-tape because we can be anywhere. We don't have to hustle. And, and you know, I lived in L.A. I know how it can suck if you have to drive and you're like, oh, it's going to take me two hours and it takes you 10 minutes. Or it's going to take me 10 minutes and it takes you two hours. So it's very, it's very, uh, it's very down the middle. But for you, so you like the self-tape. But I, I want to go back to Silence and the Lambs. So, so he just, you just went in the room, you talked to him, and then how long till you found out you got the part? I feel like it was a, a couple, maybe like a week, a week to a couple of weeks. You know, um, someone had told him about me, and uh, and I think he knew my mom actually because Jonathan started in publicity. Weirdly enough, um, so. I just remember meeting with him and I remember him asking me like, why would you, why would you want to do this? You know, <laughs> which is a really good question. Cause I don't know that I'd want to do it now, but I was a very serious young actress and I wanted to do it because I thought I couldn't do it. So, um, and also I had just spent all these years getting thin because you're supposed to be thin when you're an actress and, uh, and then my first part, I had to gain 25 pounds. So, uh, what was, what was the shooting like on that set? Because, you know, when you look back at it, you know, even now, like there's certain movies that are just still creepy. Like if I watch the exorcist now, I still crap myself. I don't care. I know it's fake. I, I know it's been around, but it scares the hell out of me. But with yeah. silence of the lambs, it's still one of those ones that is just creepy what was it like on the set was it a very tense set or was it relaxed because everybody knew it was creepy um for me i wasn't scared once i was on set i did all that work beforehand you know i sort of locked myself in closets in the basement of my house and uh you know really tried to i had a lot of bad dreams i remember i had a lot of bad dreams um but on the set it I, you know, I think if you asked other people, they, they found it more stressful, uh, you know, because I guess there's also that thing of scream therapy or whatever, you know, that after I would be shooting, I'd be very relaxed. I was like, oh, yeah, I feel very relaxed. But people would be kind of like, Ugh, you know, looking at me strangely at uh, lunch. So <laughs> now what is it like when you're a young actor and your first movie, I mean, one of your early roles wins the Oscar? I mean, did it open a lot of opportunity for you or did people, you know, want to pigeonhole you in the girl who's been abducted? I mean, how does that work? Um, it's so funny because there was an agent uh, who told me not to take the part when it was offered to me because uh, he said I would forever be the fat girl and, uh, and it would be impossible to get out of it. And, you know, there was some truth to that. Uh, but I don't... Uh, I don't know how it helped. I mean, it was, I mean, it's an incredible film. So how lucky was I to do that one first? And, uh, and I remember the Oscars. I remember watching the Oscars with Mary Louise Parker, actually, because she had been in, um, fried green tomatoes. It was that same year. Uh, and we had a big Oscar party at her house. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it wasn't like, it wasn't like I became a huge star immediately after that. It, <laughs> so you know it's i don't i don't know what it i don't know how to answer that well now where do you go from there you know you're in a movie you know you have to go back from to step one auditioning again or were you getting offers or it's it seems like you know when i talk to everyone almost everyone has to audition you know you can do whatever you can do you can do something great patrick fabian said you know he's on better call saul and then he has to audition and he sees all his normal you know all the normal character actor guys at all him and spencer garrett and larry poindexter they're all in that little group he sees them all auditioning too and it's like i'm on a show it's like throw me a bone i mean what is that like i mean you're just an oscar-winning movie and then you have to audition and and you're probably the person when you go in the room People are a little intimidated because they're like, oh, there's the girl who was in the Oscar-winning movie. We're screwed. She's going to get the part. But what's it like when you go from that and you have to start auditioning again? Because that seems like the pattern of the business. 
Yeah. Oi, oi, oi. I don't know. Um, I mean, I was also young, so it took me years, and I can't say I'm great at it now, auditioning. So, uh, you know, the, I, I've told this story before, but actually, I had the part before um, Ted Levine was cast, and um, I read with the three finalists who were going to play Jame Gum in Silence of the Lambs. And it was fascinating because I was on the other side of it. And, you know, I just, Jonathan would introduce us and say, you know, she's going to read with you. And, uh, and we'd be left there alone for a second. And I would say to each actor the same thing, you know, is there anything you want me to do? Let me know. You know, um, the first actor had everything planned. He had props. He had a costume. He, he was like totally knew exactly what he wanted to do. Ted was second. And he was like, oh, hey, you know, he was just totally, he was like, wow, this is great. You got the part, you know, he was just schmoozing and hanging out with me. Um, and then when we got in the room, he was incredible. I mean, it was all behavior, what he was doing. And it was all, I just thought, oh, my God, first of all, if people audition like that, I'm never going to get a job in my life after this. Um, and then the third actor came in and he was the one who pretty much had the part and I watched him give up on himself in the room. Like I just watched it happen, like halfway through his insecurity, something, I don't know what it was, uh, but he just, he just gave up and I saw it and I thought, Oh God. Um, but then, you know, when we were shooting, I actually made a point of asking Ted, you know, what did you do in that audition? Because, uh, you know, I'm screwed. That's how good people are. And he said, <laughs> It's really funny you say that because I had no idea what I was going to do. So I just drank a lot of coffee and I was like, are you kidding me? And so for years, I'm talking like 10, 15 years, when in doubt, I would just drink a lot of coffee. Just what the hell? Let's see what happens. Um, it was really funny. He was very, um, you know, they were like, thank you for coming in. And he was like, hey, you paid for my ticket. You know, he was very like that, you know, I just like owned it or something. And I just, you know, was very impressed by him. Now, yeah. you you were going back and forth as you were, years ago by from movies to TV. And what, for you, is there really a noticeable difference or is it because it's all acting, it's the same? Between TV and um, film? So, yes. You know... I don't, I don't think there's that much of a difference except maybe speed, <laughs> you know, uh, TV is very fast. Uh, but now, you know, everything's on video. It's not film anymore. Um, I've actually been wondering if because of the COVID protocols, maybe people will be more on their game in a way so that it's not just like, okay, keep it rolling and we're going to go back to one, which drives me crazy. Because uh, some actors show up and kind of learn their lines there, you know. Um, you know, and I'm not saying, look, everyone has their own way, but I do feel like it'd be nice if it was a little more, if the stakes were higher, you know. With film, the stakes were high. Like, you better know your lines and you better know what you're doing because every time we roll it, it's costing a lot of money. Um, so I don't know if it's... Uh, I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> Sorry. It was a difference between TV and film. What's that? It was a difference between TV and film. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I would just say the speed, really, uh, is is the thing. And, and on some shows, you, you don't have to work as fast, even. And on some films, you know, you do work fast because they don't have any money or no time. or uh, So I don't find that, that big a difference. As, as long as the camera's in your face... You know, it's a little smaller than life or a little, uh, you know, as opposed to theater. Like, I find theater very different. Um, so. Now, now, how do you prepare for a role? When you have a role, what is your prep? I mean, do you study a lot? Do you go into a room and learn your lines? Or how do you do it? Because you said right then that it irritates when people show up and they're just learning their lines on set. So for you, it must be you must prepare. But how do you get into prep mode? Oi. Um, well, the part I'm playing right now, uh, I, it's been actually the COVID and being isolated has been good for me because my character is a very isolated and lonely person. Um, so I've been, you know, it's harder to 
remember what that's like when you're have two kids and a million animals in your house. Um, so they're not here now. So I'm kind of, you know, remembering all that. I, it depends on the role. It depends on, uh, you know, I mean, my character in this one is, uh, she's a quilter. Uh, so, you know, I probably should be quilting right now, uh, but I'm not. (laughs) And, you know, so I don't know. I think it depends on the role. It depends on, um, you know, it really depends. It's, it's specific to each job. And, uh, I mean, getting back to the COVID protocols, you know, John Carroll Lynch is playing my husband in this, in the one I'm doing now. And, um, and I met him once under a tree at, you know, six feet distance, both of us in masks, you know, it's very strange and very different, you know, because as you said, we usually sort of hang out and get to know each other a little bit, you know, I'm not, I'm not having that on this one. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, but I do feel like, oh, I remember when I was working actually with Mary Louise Parker on weeds, I, tend to carry my sides with me during the first rehearsal, um, you know, for camera. And then, and she was very not into that. She really wanted to be off book by the time we got there to rehearse. And since, since I worked with her on weeds, I agree with her. I feel the exact same way because just a simple thing, like if you're holding your sides, you won't have your hand free. You won't be able to maybe pick something up or whatever, you know? Um, so I do try to get the lines in my head and out of the way so I don't have to worry about them. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I answered in any way clearly. but You, you totally did. Now, after Weeds, you did Grays. What was it like being on a show that was very, very popular? Because, you know, you still, you still try to explain to people, like when shows were so big, I mean, you know, now there's shows on everything. But back then, even I mean, this was two thousand seven, I believe. I mean, you were two thousand six to eight. You were on it. That's still fourteen years ago, and TV still was impactful on a show. Did people start recognizing you because you were on such a huge hit? And what was their reaction to you? Oh yeah, it's it's a big, huge difference. I've never actually experienced anything like uh, what it was like to be on Grey's Anatomy at that time. You know, it was, it was immediate. As soon as I had been, you know, as soon as I was on the air, uh, everywhere I went from supermarkets to, it didn't matter, just everywhere, uh, people recognized me. And to this day, I think they recognize me from that quite a bit. Um, maybe it's cause we're like in their houses, you know, like we're, it's very intimate. I think, you know, if you're sitting at home watching something and someone's on a TV right there, then maybe you just feel like. I don't know, like you know them or something. But uh, I remember at the time feeling like it was a coup, which I guess it ended up being because I was fired. But um, I remember feeling like, wait a minute, why did I get picked by the popular people? You know, they're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out I'm the freak, you know. Um, So it was it was really odd. And I could have gotten so used to that money. Oh, my God. But, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't, uh, it didn't continue. Does that piss you off when it happens? I mean, be honest. Like, when something happens when you're on a set or a series of what happened on Grease, does it piss you off? And then how do you, how do you bounce back? Because it has to be painful somewhat. Oh, yeah, majorly. I had just moved my whole family to L.A. and bought a house that I could no longer afford. You know, it was, it was epic. It was... Uh, I mean, I, I know people say that you, until you're fired, you don't really, I, I don't know what it is, but that it, it's, it does something to you. And, um, and all these years later, I honestly really never was told why, uh, which has been very hard to kind of figure out. And it's made me nervous to this day about um, sort of the suits, <laughs> you know, like if, if we do a table read, I'm horrified because in the old days, table reads, I thought were like, we're going to start to explore the character and see what's going on. And now I treat them like, you know, it's a final test. You know, I better be totally 100% doing my performance or I might get fired because it's a fact of life. Now people do get fired after table reads. So, um, 
but yeah, it's it's it took me years and years to kind of get over that experience. And like I said, I don't really know why. And um, and it made me paranoid about uh, the studios and stuff because I heard stuff. You know, church groups are writing letters to Disney saying they're not going to bring their kids to Disneyland because they don't want to see a lesbian on TV or you know just all these things I never thought about. You know, um, so. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? You know how people sit there and they take the time to write letters. It always cracks me up. It's like you it's like it's a TV show. I mean, my feeling is this. My wife cracks me up. She goes behind between MSNBC, Hallmark Channel, and Discovery ID. Okay? I don't watch Hallmark movies. It's just not my taste. So, I don't sit there and write a movie. I mean, I don't write a letter saying, "Oh, you know, these are all mostly made for women and stuff like that." It just cracks me up that you know people will sit down and write, and this was back then. You had to write a letter. It wasn't like you could just shoot anything on. Like yeah, yeah. you can tweet, "Hey, Grey's Anatomy, we don't want a lesbian." You know, now yeah. I mean, it's just it must be, and especially because you, you're in the public eye. It must be frustrating sometimes because people could just say stuff, and someone can be an asshole, and it can affect your livelihood. Oh, for sure, especially now with the whole cancel culture thing. Um, I do remember, you know, the internet was starting to become a thing on Grays, and there were all these forums, you know, that fans would go and talk about things. And let me tell you, they were very aware of the forums, the people writing the show. And, um, and I learned my lesson about them and stopped looking at them uh, when I realized there were entire threads devoted to how bad my teeth were. <laughs> Stuff like that, which I was like, oh no, I didn't know I had bad teeth. Um, you know, you you really got to toughen up. What can I say? Uh, yeah. So how do you how do you get back up on the horse after the Grays things happen? How do you, how do you how do you psychologically put yourself back in the game? Because you said you had some fear now. You know, because it had happened. You had a bad experience. How do you do it mentally? And do you take it out on your family? I mean, it's just something that it's. It must be a gut punch, but you have to keep going because this is what you do. You're you're an actor and you're a good actor, and you know, you know, screw them because you know you're good. You've been in Oscar-winning movies. I mean, how do you jump back up on the horse? How do you keep focused? Well, you know, I did have some pretty incredible fans that supported me, which was really nice. They, you know, I had this whole speech about seeing leaves, and they would mail boxes of leaves to ABC Studios and stuff like that, and you know, wrote me really sweet letters because um, my character came out and, you know, there were girls and boys who uh, who came out at the same, around the same time. And so I felt supported by them, which was really nice. Um, yeah, you just got to keep going. What are you going to do, you know? I, I think it's odd how people... I mean, I understand when you're watching something that if someone's a bad guy, then maybe you feel like they're... The actor is too, but um, you know you need bad guys. If there's if everyone's likable, there's no show. Come on, you know. <laughs> there's no it's Sopranos. Just, there's no The Shield. There's nothing. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. So I don't know. It was it was tough. Uh, I think maybe I uh, I, sp- I I'm a big traveler. I know I spent all my money on travel, and that's why I don't own a home. So maybe, I don't know, maybe I ran away a bit and traveled. I don't really know. Well, you're working through and you're working through and then you end up on Ray Donovan, which is uh, such a great show. And everyone's so talented. What was that? Did you get that part through audition or was it something that came to you easy? And were you originally supposed to be his girlfriend or was that a part that was built more that you were, they kept calling you going, hey, people like you. Come on back, bro. Come on back. Um. The thing that I remember about auditioning for Ray Donovan was uh, I knew it was um, Eddie Marsan was going to play the brother that, and it was written that we would be, you know, lovers. And I remember on the way to the audition, someone had given me, this is really embarrassing. Someone had given me a DVD of, uh, or a, a CD, whatever it is you put in your car, the circular thing um, of this like self-help book, the secret and they were like you're really negative and you're you know because i said something like i'm going to audition for this great show but i'm never going to get it because i'm taller than the guy and she was like okay just listen to this the whole way there 
So I did. And it was all about, you know, what you put out is what you get back and all that. And um, I remember getting there and being so ridiculously um, effusive to all the actresses who were waiting, you know, in the waiting room. It was kind of insane. I'm sure that they think I was sabotaging them or something. You know, I was like, oh, my God, you look so great. I haven't seen you in so long, you know, just really like that. And then I went in the room and I don't even really know what I did. And then. I got it kind of right away, and Ann Bitterman, who created it, said, you were always the one I wanted. I had a picture of you on the wall when I was writing it. I was like, Ann, you should have told me that, you know, because I was a wreck. Why do you put us through this? I don't understand. Um, But, you know, we do have a little joke, my husband and I. It's not very funny, but about how oftentimes I'll play characters that just disappear with no explanation. And I feel like Francis is a little bit of that, too, on Ray Donovan, because I just thought, well, wait a minute, where'd she go? Um, so that that's always an odd feeling when, when all of a sudden you're not on there and you're like, it, yeah. <laughs> what was it like working on that show? Just for the fact it's on HBO, it's very, uh, it's just, it's has so much talent and I had a crew that was together for a little bit of a while. So I think that always makes it easier. I think when a actor walks into the set, I hear two things. If the crew is very welcoming, it's great. Sorry. Oh, it's my TV husband calling. All right, let me turn that off. There we go. Sorry. No, it's fine. It's, it's, uh, see, that's quarantine. See, this is great. I'm learning firsthand what quarantine is. It's like, you know, I, my wife goes to work. I go out and get groceries. I'm allowed to go out. Now we know people call, people do that, and it's great. I was going to say, what is it like when you went on the set? Because they've been working together for a while, and I hear two different kinds of stories. One, you go on a set, and they're very welcoming because they've been there for a while. Two, it's like you're the new kid in school, and you got to sort of prove yourself. What was it like when you walked on that set? Because it seems like a set that would be intense when you're shooting, but pretty laxed when you aren't. I think that's exactly what it was. You know, I, I've known Liev a long time uh, just from being around in New York. And uh, and so, you know, I, 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 we did have a lot of parties and get-togethers and stuff like that, but it that felt like a film in the beginning. It was very concentrated. You know, we'd just go in and do our work and then a lot of barbecues and hanging out and stuff. I didn't feel like uh, the new kid. I felt like I was in at, at the beginning on that one, even though I wasn't in the pilot, I don't think. I was in the second second one. But, um, yeah, it, it is a different feeling, right, when you go in and you're guest starring or as opposed to, like this one, we're starting up at the beginning together. So it, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's I guess you can be a little insecure or whatever when you go in uh, you know the older I get the less I know and the more comfortable I am with it <laughs> how about that that's, that's how I feel lately and you know you're working on some great shows I mean you did Bosch Bosch is uh was a great show what was and that shot in LA right so you you got to stay home what, yeah what was what was the, the whole scene on Bosch I mean Titus Welliver seems like he's could be pretty intense yeah, I mean, I think that job happened because I know Titus, because he and I did a David Milch show that no one saw a million years ago called Big Apple. And um, so I'm not sure how that one came about. But again, I kind of disappeared, right? Did they explain what happened to me? <laughs> I, and, it, and it was also that thing, I feel like whenever they need someone to be like a bitch, they're like, let's get Brooke. We'll bring her in. You know, because I kept thinking, well, wait, why am I being so hard on him? Can anyone explain? And you know, they would say, well, because we need a foil, you know, <laughs> or whatever. I was like, okay, all right. So I feel like I just showed up and did a few episodes and was like, you know, roll up those sleeves. What are you doing? You know, whatever it is. Um, and I don't know. I don't know why I didn't come back. I would have gone back. Now, I didn't see Bates Hotel. Did you just disappear on that or did you get killed or what happened? No, to you that one I did not disappear on. And that was fantastic. I recommend you see it because I hadn't seen it either. I don't watch a lot of TV. And then I watched it and was very excited to be a part of the last season. Um, yeah, I did not. I, I went all the way to the end. So, And I, I even lived. So there. There you go. Now, have you ever been killed on screen? Oh, good question. Killed on screen. 
I feel like I must have. I feel like I've done that thing where you hold your breath. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or like keep your eyes open and, you know. Uh, I don't know why I don't remember which ones, though. Killed on screen. Yeah, I don't know. Can't remember. And then you were in The Crossing, which is funny. The Crossing, one of the younger guys, Grant Harvey, he had been in my podcast ages ago. I think that's his name. Grant Harvey? He's a good-looking guy. He was, he was in The Crossing. Because he was, he was walking to the mailboxes when I lived in L.A. I said, what have you been up to? He goes, oh, I'm in a show coming out with Steve Zahn. And I said, oh, that's cool because he's the nicest kid. But I'm like, you know, that's Hollywood. It's like you're living in a little apartment in Burbank. But uh, now The Crossing, where did that shoot? And that disappeared, but that, that got good reviews. Yeah, that was also up here in Vancouver. I, I feel like I only work here. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what happened to that one. It, that was odd, right? We, I feel like we were just getting started, and then it was over. Now, what you what gravitates you towards a role? Like you were, you were great and unbelievable. You were very good, you know, as as the psychiatrist. And and is it when you're talking about something like that, how do you draw on that? Because it's it's a very serious subject, and you have to play it right. Like sexual assault, you have to play right as a psychiatrist or someone playing it. How do you draw to get the good performance in something like that? Uh, well, she was kind of amazing, right? Oh, she was great. Uh, yeah, she was. Uh, so once I got there and realized that they wanted me to be compassionate and that we were kind of on the same page about how the therapist would be, um, then I kind of just played entirely off of her. And and in fact, she moved me so much, it was too much at times, you know, like, wait a minute, the therapist needs a therapist, you know, <laughs> like, get it together, lady. Um, so, so that was really just a nice experience of going in, and, and I thought she was great, and I just played off her, really. Now, tell me about Big Sky. What's the, what's the, what's the uh, concept? I know it starts in October, I believe. Um, it's David E. Kelly, so you know it's going to be great writing, because it's, that's what he does. He's a great writer. I mean, it's just something. Tell me about it. How did, how did the part come about? And do you know how many episodes you'll be on? And so on. Okay, so um, it's based on a book. Uh, or it's a little series of books. Three books. Uh, the first one's called The Highway. Um, Box? CJ Box? Or something like that. Uh, anyway, I started reading it. And then it became clear that it didn't, that ours is very different. So I stopped reading it. Um, but basically, yes, the writing is so good and it's so incredible to be in from the beginning and to see the rewrites, you know, we'll do a table read and then just the next day, bam, all these rewrites that are so good. Um, you know, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say, but I will say that since April, you know, they've changed it. It's set, you know, just after the pandemic, which I think is really smart. Um, there are little references to the pandemic. Um, and anyway, so it's about these two girls who go on a road trip. They're sisters. Uh, the older one is going to visit her boyfriend in uh, Montana. I guess they're coming from Idaho. I might be wrong about that. Anyway, uh, they, they never get there. They disappear on the way. Um, so the father of the boyfriend that the older sister was going to visit is played by Ryan Philippe and he's um, an ex-cop and immediately starts trying to figure out where these girls are and what's going on and he has a complicated love life with these two women he has an ex-wife um, and he has uh, a new girlfriend and basically they all have to figure out what happened to these two girls uh, quickly because it turns out that a lot of girls have gone missing in this area. And my husband is uh, Rick Ligarski. He is a Montana State Trooper. And he sort of helps them in the beginning figure out what's going on. Or is he helping them? I don't know. And anyway, it's just, I think what I like so much about it is there's a lot of commentary. And not in the sort of liberal east coast west coast judging the middle of america way um there's just a, a lot of opportunities to talk about where america's at at the moment um which is not in a great place <laughs> you know 
Um, and especially, I, me personally, when I read them, I really like the stuff that my husband's character says because he's an older white straight man. And he feels like he was raised a certain way and told to do certain things and then things would happen. And now he's just feels like he's being canceled and, you know, it's, it's not about, it's not his world anymore, which, you know, I don't know if it is. Uh, so I don't know if that was a big babbling mess. Uh, no, it was good. Cause I want to see it. Cause you know, it's just something, you know, there's always, you always see some shows and it's great for me that you're, you're working in production because you know, I see so many people on Facebook, there's nothing in production and finally it's getting back. Was that scary for you? I mean, do you consider yourself blessed for the fact that you are working when so many people aren't working? And I know SAG just changed with, you know, the health minimum, you need this, and you can't use residuals, and all the old actors are getting screwed. I mean, you must sit there and go, man, you know, I got lucky on this one because there's a lot of people who aren't working, and I don't even know when all Hollywood's going to open up again. Oh, I mean, so lucky, so lucky. And yes, it's hard to be away from my family. I'm probably not going to see them until December. And it's, you know, we're not even in October yet. So that's pretty intense. But I just feel like I'm a little scared of what's going to happen still economically, the fallout from everything. And and God knows, you know, the election and Trump and all of it. So I just feel like when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And, you know, any kind of work, I feel like if, if you have the chance to work now how lucky are you very now i gotta ask you i know in the very beginning of covid and coronavirus you were one of the first people on facebook that really i remember post you were posting you were one of the first people that said hey this shit is serious like when everyone was like and i still see that i mean i live you know where i live right near philadelphia and you know the city has you know you think everything's good. And then you see everyone's down the Jersey Shore and they're shirtless, the guys with their masks off. And then you go, oh, well, you're all going to get sick. What, why did you think that you knew? I mean, you were posting like, hey, straighten the fuck out, people. This shit's going to hit the fan. What made you have insight to that? Because it's pretty damn right. Yeah, it was, I did not want to be right about that one, I got to say. <laughs> um, but it just, I started seeing it in the news, like end of December, you know? I guess the news sources that I look at are more international or something. And then I started following some virologists and kind of keeping an eye on it. And I thought, wow, this looks really bad. And there's a guy I follow who's in uh, Southern California, and he's like a ham radio survivalist guy. But he's always right. He's been right about the fires and about everything. And so I started looking at what he was looking at and... Then I just, and then, you know, my husband understands exponentials. I don't. Uh, but he was like, oh, yeah, this doesn't look good. Um, so, yeah, we found ourselves, we were like nutty, totally prepared, you know, by the end, sort of. I remember we kept our kids home from school before they stopped, you know, having kids at school, like a couple weeks before. But, um, my God, I just, I mean, when is this thing going to end? I know it's crazy, you know, you think about it, and then now we have the flu coming up, which I have to get my flu shot just because it's safe. And, you know, I had had some health problems before, so I always make sure I get the flu shot. And uh, so what do you think, you know, what do you think the future of Hollywood is now, though? I mean, I know you're working, and, you know, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, do you think production is going to, I mean, if you can foresee it like you did before, maybe you should look at the guy in Southern California and we'll ask him. I know, right? But if you, um, do you think it's going to open up? And then it's going to close again? Or, I mean, what's your gut feeling? Because you've been in the business for a long time. You've seen trends. You've seen changes. You've seen writer strikes. You've seen September 11th shut down production on different things. What do you think is the future of Hollywood? Oh, my God. That's that's a really small little question, isn't it? Um, I think we need a vaccine. We need a vaccine, people. That's what we need. Um, because... Look, everyone needs content, right? I'm here on my fourth week of quarantine, you know, second time, and I've been binging shows. So I know, you know, there's money to be made. And so they definitely want content. That's what they call it, right? Content. Um, so I do feel like we're going to – I have friends who are starting to work now in L.A. Um, also, some of my, my friends were the first ones to work uh, – very quietly uh, at the beginning when they went back. Um, but anyway, I, I feel like we're going to really 
really try to do this safely, and I really hope it goes well. But it does make me really anxious, you know. Everyone's uh, anxious. I mean, I'm so glad, you know, and this sounds selfish, but I'm so glad I got married a year ago because it was my wife's first wedding and we had a nice wedding and she would have been freaking out because, you know, she would have been like, holy crap. And I talked to people who sit there and they're like, yeah, we had a wedding plan and they're just like, fuck it. You know, we're just, we're going to go, we're going to get married. And when all this shit's done, then we'll, we'll do the wedding. But it's just, it's crazy how, you know, we get so used to certain things and they just changed. I mean, I miss going to a bar to sit down and have a beer. I can't. I'm not going out to places. Me and my wife went out for her birthday, September 2nd, and sat outside and ate. It was the first time we went to a place since March 17th or whatever it started. So it's we really, I think one thing, we've really taken things for granted. And I think now we're going, wow, you know, other people have it a lot harder than us. If we're saying we can't afford to go out and eat. Some people just can't even afford to go out. Yeah, no, totally. And I really feel bad for kids because, uh, you know, I have a 12-year-old who is dyslexic and goes to a learning difference school, and remote learning is not working well for her, you know? It's just not working well. And she's she tends to isolate anyway, and I've always been one of those moms who's not thrilled with all these devices, you know, that everybody has. Um, and I can't take that away from her now. She's in her room, and that's how she communicates with her friends you know um i really worry the most i think about the kids um i also have a 17 year old who's a senior she's applying to college <laughs> i'm not really sure what what that's gonna look like either you know she she had been cramming and and tutoring for uh her act test and it's become clear that those are not happening now um and and all the schools she wants to go to are in New York City. So, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like next year at this time in New York. It, it's all, I mean, the good news is, here's the good news. Uh, maybe it brought some people closer together. I know it did with my family, you know, all of us being shoved into the same house there. Uh, I, I do think we got closer and, and I do think it makes you kind of really just get back to the basics and go, okay, what is life about like genuinely, you know, what's the most important thing? And you realize like there's a lot of stuff we thought is important that really isn't. So, you know, maybe, I don't know. I, I just, gosh, I hope it doesn't go on for a long time. What do you think? I, you know, you know what, you know what bothers me? And this is just, we need a vaccine, but it amazes me, you know, how many people sit there and say, well, we're not going to get the vaccine. And I'm like, okay, I can understand when it first comes out, okay? I can understand that. But if it's a vaccine, it's like it's like with masks. When people are like, well, I'm not wearing my mask. And I'm just like, you know, you smoke a cigarette. I go to the supermarket, and it's like the people pull it out as soon as they get out. They, they get out of the supermarket, they pull it right off. And I'm like, it's not that bad. And the only thing I hate is... I always forget to put it on and I walk through the parking lot and I go, oh shit, I got to go back and get it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I just, I think it's showing, you know, in all honesty, I hope it gets better. But the one thing I've noticed is, and you know, social media spurs it a lot worse. You know, people putting all their bull crap up about, I don't know anyone, my sister-in-law's, uh, it works in a hospital. She's a nurse. The hospitals were busy. I mean, people go, oh, I heard people are getting fired. And they're like, no. Yeah, yeah. What bothers me is, it's just, it has shown that there's a lot of people I know and in this country who are just so entitled, you know, they have this entitlement, like, it's like, it's a mask. I mean, big deal. I was in the hospital for eight days last May. And I tell people, I go, you know what? Being in the hospital for eight days sucks. Wear your yeah. mask. Because when you sit there and on the second day, you're going, oh, God, I can't even take a shower because I got something in my arm. And I'm like, it's that's so trivial. I think that's, that's the only way we're going to get better. And then New Jersey's been good. We've, we've. We peaked in the beginning, then we dropped, and then we're going up a little bit because of the Jersey Shore, and then we're dropping. Philadelphia's been pretty flat. But I think, you know, it's just going to take some discipline. I think people are going to have to, you know, get unified and say, hey, listen, we got to beat this because, you know, I miss concerts. I miss sports. I miss going to events. And people were like, oh, the hell with football. Oh, oh. It's like, it's just, it, it just, it's just frustrating. Yeah. And, you know, we're not homeless. Look at us. You know, I on the drive up here, I was blown away by the homeless uh, just on the side of the highway. 
literally in outside of Portland, Seattle, you know, I, when I just went back to LA, uh, I noticed a lot more homeless than I've seen before. And I just feel like, yeah, we should count our blessings. Exactly. And, and it's not that much to wear a mask. It really isn't. So yeah, you can't enjoy crafty as much. I, my friend's a camera girl for America's Got Talent. She said, I lost 15 pounds because I sit on my chair. I don't take my mask off. I don't feed my ass on crafty. She goes, I've lost 15 pounds. Just, I'm so used yeah. to it. So. Yeah, it's funny. I lost weight the first quarantine, but this one, uh, I don't think so. I'm going to have to get hiking once it's done. But, uh, yeah. So, and I, I do think once I'm working, I'll lose weight. Because, like you mentioned at the beginning, you know, I remember being in my little trailer recently for the camera tests and thinking, oh, I'm hungry. I'll go to crafty. And it was like, oh, no, you won't. So I don't even know what's going to happen there. You know, do, do I call someone? <laughs> like, I don't even know. Um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. You know, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to me. And I really wanted to find out about the quarantine. I just because it's just something that I don't know. Like people, I talk to people that we don't know what goes on. But you're inside and for 14 days. So it's got to be crazy. Yeah. So I want to thank you. And the show, do you know the premiere date for the show? It's, yes, I do. It's November 17th, which feels horrifying because I haven't even filmed yet. <laughs> but uh, I guess it'll be ready. Now, do you tweet? Are you on Twitter? I am a tweeter. And what's your Twitter handle? Oh, gosh. What is it? It's, um, let's see. Hold on. Hold, please. I'm going there. I forgot. It's uh, probably something ridiculous like uh, at I am underscore Brooksmith. That's there you me. go. So people follow her on Twitter um, and Facebook. She's on Facebook. She, go to IMDb. Look up all her stuff. Go watch Silence of the Lambs again. And one quick question. When you were driving, was American Girl really playing or did they dub that in later? I wasn't even actually driving. I was on a stage and um, it, I did hear it, but it sure wasn't loud. I felt mortified. <laughs> So, <laughs> okay. anyway, people, check it out. Uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 800 episodes. Email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Twitter, I'm at coopertalk. Instagram, I'm at coopertalk1. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you.